Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. Today, we've got Kelly and Brian, and I'm super excited to jump into this because like, I could not give you a better example of somebody just figuring it out, you know, putting every little building block in place that they need to build the, you know, the literally, I, it's so funny, I'm saying this, like figuratively, but they did it literally. I mean, they literally built their own facilities, different things like that. It's such an amazing story of what they've done, how they've structured building their self storage portfolio, what they're doing, where they're going, all of that stuff. But before we do that, before you guys jump into this episode, Kelly, Brian, were just incredible people, super uh, lucky to have them on the podcast and get to know them a little bit here today, uh, which was really, really exciting. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to give you a huge shout out to Live Oak Bank and Janice International. Uh, Janice International has amazing opportunities for everybody that are in the self-storage world realm that are either acquiring or you're building, whatever it is, they've got solutions for you guys to bring your old facilities up to today's standards. Or if you want to just build a, a facility, they've got really, really awesome solutions and products and materials for you guys to utilize. They've got proprietary door systems uh, and patented door systems, things like that, that work a lot better than other door systems as far as... Uh, longevity and how those mechanisms operate within the doors. If you've operated a storage facility for any period of time, you know that doors can be a massive issue and a huge cost. And uh, Janice International Solutions, as far as doors, they've got a really great product, really helps out with so many of those common issues that you run into with those doors. And of course, Janice has the no-key solution for um, self-storage owner-operators as well uh, that helps bring the consumer experience up to today's standards as well. So not only can you update your curb appeal, get in uh, some really great materials and be, you know, having this class A looking facility, you can also have a class A user experience and consumer experience where somebody can just rent a unit, access the facility, put their stuff in storage and leave the facility without ever interacting with a manager if they so choose. Um, and Genesis International's Noki system allows people to do that. If you haven't seen it go check it out links in the show notes um i also want to give a huge shout out to live oak bank uh which has just been an incredible uh resource for us and for other storage owner operators it's amazing to hear all of the people that are reaching out to live oak like hey we heard you guys on the self-storage income podcast uh it's, it's so cool for us to be able to hear that where a lot of times I feel like people think that, you know, they throw their ads out there or whatever it is, or their sponsors. And, you know, if somebody goes to them, cool, whatever. <clears throat> but for us, 
this is such a different dynamic because we've specifically chosen Live Oak to be a part of this podcast and a part of the self-storage income brand, essentially. And um, we have the utmost confidence in them and their abilities, and we're honored to have them a part of all of this that we're doing and to be able to pass that on to you guys as a resource as well. And uh, we hear it from our listeners. We even had guests on that have used Live Oak Bank and their SBA programs uh, to get into storage. So if you guys are looking at uh, financing, talk to Live Oak, talk to Terry over there at Live Oak Bank, get it everybody over there. Again, decades of experience there as well. Uh, with tons of really, really great people. Links in the show notes. Go check out Live Oak. Go check out Janice. With that said, guys, uh, here's Kelly and Brian. Enjoy this episode. And uh, I can't just, I'm super excited. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to Self Storage Income. And I am so excited about today's podcast because we have some fellow Northern Rockies friends I, I, this is you know I, this is what it's all about from the yep. other side of the rockies from us uh, yeah. over in montana and storage people around us that just that that absolutely warms my heart so I, i'm i'm excited about that me as well excited to jump into this one and uh share the story with you guys and, and what they've got going on what they're doing how they got to uh where they're at now and uh it's just been awesome having having all these amazing guests on lately that have such great stories and uh, excited to jump into this one so so uh, we've got Kelly and Brian hanging out with us today. Thank you guys for coming on. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. For so, sure. yeah, just uh, just to jump into everything, give everybody kind of a rundown of who you are and what you guys are doing. So we got started kind of slowly. Uh, wait, let's see. What year did we get started? 06. 06. We purchased some property that we actually didn't really intend on putting storage units on. We needed it for... Brian's shop. He was going to uh, need it for building cabinets and countertops when the market was so good for that then. And um, we um, purchased the property for that purpose. And then it was a couple of acres. So we needed uh, to figure out what else to do with that property that happened to be on a fairly busy highway. So it was Brian's idea to put some storage units on it. And then um, kind of go into what we built and yeah, so we, so we built uh, our first building. We thought that boat and RV would be good for our area because we have lakes up in here. So uh, we built 12 by 36 um, storage units was the size. And it was just, we built 12 of them, just a single building. Didn't even know if they would rent. We just kind of thought. It scared us. Yeah, scared <laughs> us. That, that small venture scared us. But um most of them were rented before we finished them. Yeah. And, and so we're that, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that kind of opened our eyes <laughs> to the possibilities kind of there. And so we built the, the, the property was uh, kind of a pie shape. So the narrow end of it, we built some small ones, some 10 by 15s, 15 more units there. And then Wait, so you went more traditional because so, it kind of started out on that boat and RV side and then from there moved to a traditional portion of it. Yeah. Right. And mostly just because that's all that would fit on that narrow part. Yeah. So we were just kind of maximizing the, the property there. And then uh, the market crashed and I kind of lost most of my income uh, doing cabinets and countertops. So we. Yeah. We actually went back to school, and I went to pharmacy school for six years. Wow. wow. <laughs> it stalled us a little bit. Yeah, no kidding. So 
the beauty of the storage units was uh, I could work part-time, he could work part-time. The, the facility uh, made it so that we could get a loan so we could have a home in um, Idaho Falls where we were living. And so uh, it floated us during those years, just that little bit of passive income kept us going in those years where it would have been very difficult. We have five children and that would have been extremely difficult to get through that period of him being in school without that passive income. So we, we very much appreciated having that and we're glad that we stuck our neck out when we did. So you were an IF? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I you went hit storage on hit road? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so right off hit road exit, that hit storage. Uh, that was ours, one of our first. Oh, oh, cool. cool. Yeah. So Small world. Right on the corner is 17th and Hit Road. Is that the one? So it's right before the exit. So hit exit right before you get to it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It has like those uh, RV like on the backside. It, yeah. It's small, right? But it, it was, yeah, that was yeah. one of our, our very first storage facilities. Awesome. Cool. AJ, I just have one. I have one question. Was, was it a hit? It, you know what? <laughs> It was actually probably not the hit we wanted it to be. So. But it is funny because that storage facility is what got us into management. So like we'd hired a property management and there was nobody that did property management for storage. Right. And this was yeah. in uh, this was right after you were 2005. So this was 2005. And mm -hmm. we gave it to the property. man. We didn't know what we were doing. So gave it to the property management company. It was like six months later, we were at like 60% occupancy and rates were low. We'd go over there. The gate's not working. We're like, what is going on? So we took it over and we learned how to manage it by necessity. Like it was never right. a plan to, you know, but that's, you know, kind of how we, yeah, we started on a little hit road. So how, how long were you in IF? So six years. Yeah, okay. I went, uh, so two years of undergraduate and then four years of pharmacy school, I, I would commute down to Pocatello. Okay. Yep. For pharmacy school. Yeah. And then we moved to Oregon for a couple of years after that. I guess uh, in pharmacy school, in one of the summers, we came up and built another building. Uh, on the so same another property. 18, on the same property, right. built another 18 units there. Um, and same thing, we, we really didn't have... Uh, good plan or yeah. big vision for it we just thought well if we can build it and rent half of them the other half will be gravy so, and this is him building them with our kids this yeah, is not so, us hiring people oh, to build wow. it wait so you guys yeah. Yeah. My, my 10 and 12 year old boys are putting storage units together <laughs> they're really good at it now <laughs> yeah they are <laughs> now you wait hold on so you were you were doing this when you were in Oregon, you were driving up there to build yourself storage units. Well, this was when we were in Idaho still. So it was, in so between. you were an IF and you were driving up all the way up there. Yeah. So, so we camped out in the shop, had our own little hot plate and we'd, we'd hang out in the shop in the evenings and watch Bonanza. And then <laughs> we'd uh, do storage units during the day. That's like oh, the coolest thing I've ever heard. So awesome. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it. And I managed them. I managed them. Uh, remotely too. It was okay. really sketchy, but I managed to do it. Yeah, we and didn't have a website. We yeah, this is before we had yeah. any kind of system online. It was all paper mm. and my father-in-law going over and checking to see if any, something was empty and clean, you know, so. Well, and to give, I you, you talk we, about we remote management. Yeah. 
you're talking about remote management here, but you got to give everybody a little perspective. Like we say Idaho and Montana because they're like on the side of each other, right? We're, we're neighbors. Yeah, but six hours. But yeah, it, they're not close what they're talking about here. You're talking northern oh. Idaho and northern Montana and southern Idaho really yeah. far away. So oh, you were driving... This was this is a big thing to be managing remote like this first of all, but then to be building it while you live six hours away, yeah. that is so yeah. cool. Yeah. We initially thought that we would of course have to sell these if we were going to live six hours away. Luckily, um, it didn't really go anywhere. Nobody was buying anything, so out of necessity, I just kept managing them, and it seemed to work. And so then we gave up the idea, of course, that we wouldn't you know, we're never selling these things now. You know, I, we figured it out. Thankfully. Yeah. yeah. So, it sounds yeah. like our story so, too. Right. You just yeah. have to keep plugging along. Yeah. And that you did this so for six years. Point, six years, okay. six years. And then, and then Two we, more. I graduated, took a job in Salem or near Salem, Oregon at a pharmacy there. Realized we, he doesn't like it at all. Yeah. I realized that pharmacy <laughs> was maybe not the, best choice for me we had it all we had a very nice home he had a job um i i stopped with the three jobs i had going on in idaho falls and we just like chilled out and found that we were bored to death we were so this was not what we wanted actually we figured out and so two years after moving there we decide let's go back to montana we can continue with what we started there and and I and we thought we'll be much happier. And so far, that's been the case. You know, we've grown a lot since. Um, I guess we've been back in Montana for four years now, and a lot of growth has happened in those four years. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so we, you, you we went back and started in storage, like so. You went back so and we'll, like I'm going to build another one. Yeah. 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 So when we moved from Oregon back to Montana, the last time, then we built another set of units and then made plans for two more buildings to finish out that property and then right across the highway a property came available and we partnered with um, our brother-in-law brother and purchased that property and started developing that cut all the trees and uh, got all the zoning and permitting and stuff and uh, so we've developed that finished developing ours and we're just now finishing the very last building on those two projects. Like today, he was putting up yeah. today. <laughs> okay, so that's I, yeah. incredible. Yeah. I want to ask you, we're talking here about this facility and everything. How are you financing this, like getting started? You buy it with your brother. Is it just your savings and then you're buying, the, you're doing the actual building? Like you're going out and buy, yeah. buying the material and building? Yeah, so, so initially... That when the market was really good, we were building a house, living in it for two years, and then selling it. We were flipping houses. Yeah. And so that first flip we did, we sold it in 07, and we had a HELOC on that that we financed all the property for the storage unit and those first couple of units or buildings. Uh, so that when we sold that first Beck house or the house we were um, intending to sell, it paid for that whole first phase. And then since then we've been positive equity. So we've been able to just refinance yes. every building and just keep rolling it because yeah. we're we're always good loan to value. We have a great local lender. 
Mm-hmm. Very good relationship with a local lender. Who do you guys use? And then, do you mind me asking? Uh, Glacier Bank. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. They have, they have uh, subsidiaries in Idaho, and yes. you probably know. Yep. Yeah, we have we worked with them before. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then and then when we branched out to the second property and brought in uh, our partner, so our brother-in-law, um, he he's well-established financially and stuff. So he would bring cash to the deal and I would build them and then we would finance the, the difference. So he would, he would bring all the down payments to the deal and then I would do sweat equity yeah. to, to roll those ones. So when, since we had that going for us, we started looking around for other properties that we might be able to purchase and uh, found one uh, just within five minutes of our place and somebody that, uh, uh, a fellow facility owner that I had talked to before. And um, so we were very interested in, in that property and we closed on that in uh, December of 2020 and added, uh, let's see, 110 units at that point. And the interesting thing about continuing to grow like that two years ago was when I added our online system. Cause up to that point it was like book, you know, like yeah. very, labor intensive to keep track of all that. And, you know, I maybe charged late fees every now and then it was, you know, I just couldn't keep up with that kind of a system. And I always avoided the smaller units because they were more trouble than the larger ones with boats and RVs in them. And so because we were able to do that, then I felt comfortable going ahead and expanding and getting bigger. And, and so that was a big step for us to go ahead and get into that. Now, yeah. how, how did that change your financials? Um, like, did you yeah, improve I mean, on collections? Yeah, we, did... yeah, I don't know that we've, no, we never we've quantified it, but <laughs> but uh, I think we get a considerable yeah. amount now in late fees. Um, did delinquencies lower? We, we haven't had real high delinquencies just because we do have a majority of large units. Yeah. And it's a pretty mm-hmm. affluent community here. Yes. So there's some nice stuff in there. Most of them are on auto pay. Yeah. Most yeah. of them, I mean, we have some people that have almost 10 units and they pay the whole year in advance yeah. On, yeah. on the same date every year. So, so you had it set up right. It was just the administrative part that the technology just streamlined. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah that yeah. makes complete sense. And so you, you have two across the road from each other. You're going down right. now to the to just down the road, correct? And there's like 110 yeah. more units that you already have a relationship. Yeah. Now, how did that acquisition go? Like, how was that negotiation process with them? And is in, in the terms of price, like what was those conversations like? And how did you come to an agreeable price? Everyone's, I, I'm always interested to hear how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we probably messed up just a little bit because we've known this guy forever. Yeah. And we, we, read the, we read your book just like a, a month too late, I swear. Kelly's <laughs> <laughs> a real estate agent, and so she has access to the MLS, and so we're constantly looking through there. But had we just chatted with him yeah. six months earlier. It kills us now to think about. We probably could have got it off market. So by the time it got on market, um, it, we probably paid just a little more than yeah. we would have otherwise. Yeah. But it it's a really neat piece of property in that it's 
storage units on a couple of the acres, and it's got an enormous shop. That we immediately rented for 1500 a month. Yeah, to a woodworker. Yeah. And then um, it's got a beautiful yard and another piece of property that's uh, separate that has a mobile home on it right now, but it's two acres with the mobile home. So there's tons of uh, potential to- Yeah, we got plans for all that. Develop, maybe put a duplex on that and then a house near the shop. And so some future development. So we, we were willing to pay a little bit more perhaps mm -hmm. just because um, of the situation and it's two miles down the road and right next door to my dad. So yeah. it's like- That's a, yeah, no kidding. But we, you know, it's amazing. We're uh, acquiring a lot of facilities um, in certain areas, and the the ability to operationally increase overall is a real thing. You know, like having close proximity in the terms of marketing, sharing customer space, um, moving one customer to another. Say, well, I don't have any of this facility here. I've got that. Right. You capture a lot, a lot of income, um, and two, also, you can then turn around and sell it it's way more interesting to a lot more people because now you have options. They're all, they're all yeah. here. We all have them similar. I can either farm each one of them out, sell them individually or sell them to somebody big, right. And maybe get a lower cap rate, like a portfolio value. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand like it, when you're paying a little more for assets, there's more reasons that might go into it. For example, like you talked about immediately when you say land, land has intrinsic value, right? Especially in the marketplace. So if you look at the market, land may trade for certain things. Well, we bought a facility a few months ago that had a whole nother acre, right? But we're buying it on the cap rate and the revenue based upon it has nothing to do with that land. Well, that doesn't mean that that land's not revenue producing. It's just they're not doing re revenue producing, right? So yeah. even if I paid a little more for it, if you look in comparison to what I'd have to pay for that and carve it all out, the land, the shop, all individually, right? That can really, all of a sudden you're going, actually, I got a big discount on this. Yeah. Well, and, and listening to some of your podcasts has given us the courage to do some of the things that we were nervous about doing because our rates at our two facilities were at market value or close to, but he was way below market value. And we were really nervous. Like one of them, he was charging 75 bucks a month on this unit and market value is about 125. Wow. And so we're we're nervous about just the exodus of people when we raise the rent. <laughs> and and listening to you and some of your strategies made made us more comfortable and going ahead yeah. and just pulling the band-aid off and doing it. Probably Love one it. of our awesome. biggest takeaways was that a hundred percent occupancy can is not always a good thing. We always thought, oh, hundred percent, great. Yep. And then it was like, what, what are we doing? You know, it's much better to be charging the proper amount and have a little bit of a, a couple of empty units than to be charging the wrong amount, you know, 100%. you know, like yeah. we tell our managers and say, they are like, why, you know, you're raising price. We could fill up more when I, Hey, listen, you guys got to understand we are a business. I got to have something to sell. If I have nothing to sell, my business is theoretically not maximized. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. yeah, it's like we're sitting around, we don't even have to. I'm like, I never want all the units gone because there's not the same paying tenants as, you know, you're in a fluent area. So you're going to have some tenants that are willing to pay much higher rates and not even use your facility, right? They're going to come in from out of town and they're going to use their RV once and then they're going to park it back and they don't even care what the price is. Well, if 
I have a tenant that is really price sensitive and they almost always cause all the problems, right? In a unit at $75, I'm turning away all these $150 ones that ha are not price sensitive and are totally, so it's like, who do we want to get? So we get, you got to get rid yeah. of, you know, those other people and say, this is who we are and bring those. It's an, it's a big opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So our whole thinking on that is completely changed after. How'd the rent the raises go? We, uh, we started with one, uh, with one type of unit there our our biggest RV unit at the, at the newest property. And, uh, I, we only a couple people moved out. Everybody else, uh, has been able to bump up with us on price. And then I immediately filled back up, you know, yep. so yep. just test it a little bit and you'll find out where, where you're at. Yeah. And two, yeah. you know, you guys acquired this at a very good time, right? So it, it's now the money time. And I'll, I can tell you this, Mimi and Lance were having this conversation a lot. And uh, um, Lance Watkins, who's a partner of mine, he owns and developed a bunch of facilities through California during the downturn right? He, they got nervous. So they started lowering rates and they stopped doing rate increases. And he always says, you know, he's like, I, I'm not a person that looks back and say, change anything, but he goes, that was the biggest mistake we ever made. Because when he went to other facilities, they kept raising their rates. They never stopped. Right? Well, all of a sudden he's three years behind and their financial yeah. performance is way better than his. And he's like, and we were mm -hmm. in the middle of a recession. What he found out was there was no difference between his and theirs, and they were raising rents all the time. And I yeah. think the, the thing that, that we think about, and I have to change my mind about it, particularly when times are good, that's the time you can get it. When the bad times come, it's harder to get it, right, and to fill up. But if you get it during the good times, they stay with you through the bad. They don't leave, right? Yeah. So it's like there's a time when it's hot and a time to really do it and push the limits because you might not be able to do it next spring, right? And, it, and if you don't do it like that, rip that Band-Aid off, if you're like, oh, I'm going to do it in four increments, you don't know if the last two increments you can even get. So for us, we're yeah. like, let's meet the demand, meet it now. And we can, and you, we adjust later because, man, it can cost you a lot of money if you, if you don't. For sure. Right. Well, and ours is so seasonal too. Like summers are hot here. Uh-huh. Like we get, we get total influx of tourism and people that just have summer homes here and stuff. And so it's busy in the summertime. And like you were talking about, I plow the thing all winter and nobody ever sees it. Nobody ever sees it. I've done it. <laughs> yep. yep. The, there's nobody even visiting their boat in the wintertime. Yeah. You know, we used to have that in Coeur d'Alene, so in, in Coeur d'Alene, which is you know, just across the way from where you guys are, we used to have this time period during the, um, winter, we would see a lot of seasonal move in and, and out, right? Same thing. It's a high-end lake community. You got the resort there. And we would have large fluctuations in um, our occupancy. And it was interesting when looking at, because same thing, during the winter, it died. It was just nobody there. It was always good if the resort put on a Christmas event or something, right? But other than that, the town was dead. It was dark at three yeah. o'clock. Nobody's there. Then summertime came around and we couldn't, we didn't have units to even give out. And we looked at this, we're like, how do we offset the seasonality, right? And uh, I, you know, you guys may not have, that was at one of our facilities in the market. The, depending on the location of the market, the other one, there was a lot more people that had second homes. They continued renting them whether they were there or not, which was really yeah. nice. Yeah. And that's what yeah. we learned. We learned that different tenants utilize storage differently. 
and we had to be really picky about, and we got rid of the fluctuation. So we have no seasonality in our occupancy that is any different than any other facility now, but it took us a few years to figure that out. And when I'm talking about like, we would go from 80 to 99% in six months. It was massive. And then we had another facility that would never drop below 93. We're like, man. And so we really had to change the way we marketed. We identified those areas that had more steady living people there or larger, nice home. And we got rid of the marketing towards certain like apartment complexes, things like that, that we knew were seasonal workers coming in and out. And it's really interesting how you can maximize those trends and to offset, you know, some of those different problems within your facilities. And that's the thing that I love about storage. People, I think they think that month to month contract is an Achilles heel. Oh, I, I completely disagree. I'm like, that's what gives yeah. us power. You, I mean, your yeah. ability to raise rents like you just did and fill up. I mean, there's so few asset classes that would allow you to even be able to do it like that. Yeah, yeah. And the longer you have them, the more you filter out the the kind of... Uh, Problem children. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and you get your solid tenants who stay year after year. Um, I've had people with us for since the day we opened still we've got the same folks so you're you're building your managing talk to us about management tell us some tips and tricks here give our listeners you're getting into it you've had these things for years you've learned as you went away what are some things that you wish on your management side running these assets that you would have started from day one um i wish i was a little meaner to start with i guess it's like yeah. a better word I- I, I kind of got a little bit of a thicker skin as I went along and was able to get a little bit better at um, judging who, who might be a good fit and who might not be. Um, I, at the same time, I um, became uh, a lot better at public relations and, and being uh, friendlier and more pleasant on the phone because uh for a long time, it was always like, no, we're full. No, we're full, you know. But uh, I kind of had to change that attitude and realize that uh, I was there to provide a service. And, and so I became, I tried to become a little more professional in that, that manner. Um, uh, I always answer the phone. People love that. So That's huge. They always know that they can get a hold of me if they have a problem. So a lot of our clientele are older and, and need they can't just deal with whatever they need to on by logging into their account. And so I have to provide that service here where we live and where we work. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All great stuff. And then too, because this is like right up my alley on my side of things, I want to touch on like the building and development side. Like how are you structuring that Brian? Like what is your process? Uh, Like, are you getting designs done by an architect or are you coming up with designs? Like, what is your process for for actually building these on your own? I'm I'm super curious how you're you're getting these things done. It's awesome. Yeah. So so I have a background in construction, both in uh, residential construction and then doing cabinets and countertops. And so I kind of been familiar with the trades and stuff. And so the development of the property was kind of a fun thing for me to lay out lay out all the buildings on the property with the setbacks and try to maximize flow and all that stuff it was just kind of fun um, to do and then early on the very first building uh and i don't know if you guys let us name drop or do anything like that but 
Go for it's, it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's uh, Heritage Building Supplies in Georgia. Yeah. Just, and it's the same guy I call every time, Chris Akers, and I call him and he picks up the phone. Yeah, 15 and, years with Chris. Yeah, and it, yeah. initially it was facts and back and forth stuff. And <laughs> yeah, signing, yeah. But we've used them for every one of our buildings. And so I'll just say, hey, this is my footprint. This is the size building I can fit right here. I want, tell him I want it single-sided, double-sided, tell him what I want and he'll draw it up and send me a quote. So that's been the easy part. The state and county permitting is probably the part that would scare most people away from the process. Just Which to keep it in perspective in where we live, the red tape is very thin. There's, there's very little red tape. Yeah. Uh, the first property that we built on was unzoned um, we didn't have any issues there. Uh, and it just irritates him to have to, yeah. to, have to t- answer to anybody. About anybody. How he yeah. Deals with <laughs> yeah. No, like on all of our projects, <laughs> we're like, least, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Least amount of interaction with cities, anything else we can do. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. No, but, 100%. but uh, yeah, it's just dealing with the state, getting all of the ducks in a row and then having good relationship I've got a concrete contractor local here that has done the majority of the slabs for me, a local engineer that that uh, designs the the foundations for me, and then heritage building supply engineers and designs the the steel buildings. So, yeah, it's it, it's been real a satisfying thing to yeah. Work on. I mean, I enjoy. Delivery day when the semi shows up, <laughs> for and sure. go out there with the forklift and offload them, and it's just kind of fun to get back to dealing with the machine rather than the person. So I, I right. like it. Yeah, yeah, and I just, I just, I love the way that you guys have done all of this from like the leveraging, like using your HELOC and how you've yeah. done like the management and how you like the building and everything. It's like you guys are just seriously like leveraging and maximizing everything that you can possibly do to make these things work. And, and uh, I just love how and you guys are putting to this together. Lose the job, got to go get yeah. a new career. Then you got to go to college. I mean, right. it, it's, <laughs> it's great. And it, so you cool. know, when I look at it too, you know, Oh, before I even get to that, I had another question. I can't forget. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned at the first dawn, your refinancing, were you financing each building individually? So when you uh, built the first section, so you're doing it in phases, did you finance them yeah. individually? Then did you tie them all into one or are they still individually financed? No, so they would, we would refinance, roll the existing loan into a new loan to, to bring in the new building. Use that and equity. So each, yep. Yep. Yeah. Use that equity as a down payment. So we weren't, we weren't coming up with cash each time, but yes. um, the principal would grow each time. Got it. That's and then so they, awesome. they would run it kind of like a construction loan where there would be draws and they would come out and make sure we were doing what we said we were going to do, yeah. not going to beg. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. You know, it's interesting because people forget that you can do that. And I'm like, this is the beauty of real estate, right? This is how you compound. It's you're using other people's money to build wealth and create income, which you can leverage and then use to create more wealth and income. And there's so many ways to do it. Like you guys are sure. I mean, come on, you guys got five kids, right? You have lost your job. You had to go back to school. You're three states. You're figuring out the small facility and you're building them yourself. 
and you're six plus hours away for most of this period of time. Like, there's just, this is the epitome of no excuse. <laughs> like, get it done. <laughs> and I love that whole mentality. I mean, mm-hmm. when we started out, we're talking, you know, we, we're in Pendleton, Oregon, IF, Bonners Ferry, mm-hmm. Idaho. We were in, um, um, oh, Hermiston, Oregon, right? Everyone mm-hmm. listening to this podcast, like, I don't know anything you just said, right? So we're the only two people on the, you know, <laughs> no. us having this podcast, For we sure. know where these places are, but they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? For the majority of these facilities. And they were all very small. And we had gravel, we couldn't figure out how to run them. So we, we went to local real estate shops and we're like, hey, what? could you if we paid you to clean a unit out when could you get it done because we're down in boise and then we'd find out that geez this thing hasn't been even hardly running for six months we're not getting then we have to go over there to fix it right and uh, i think most people at this point it's like this is a hassle why am i doing this because it's not like we were getting rich off of it right we weren't when during that time it's not like it was like wow this is just money bags it wasn't until we gained the knowledge and could figure out how to really do it and start to scale that that stuff really happened, right? Like you, it was, you got to use it to build more buildings. You got to use it to grow. And then, you know, you did it really good because you talk about a discount on building your own buildings and everything. When I wanted to build, I was like, you know, we had to pay for architects and everything because I can't swing a hammer. But it's this idea that you figure it out because those are the things that make it so when you see the opportunity, Right. So if you wouldn't have built your own buildings and everything, that guy down the road, you wouldn't have seen the opportunity with this other land. You wouldn't have got it. You wouldn't have said, we could do this, this, and this. So this may seem like a little higher end price to others, but to you, you're like, wait, this is not what it seems. There's actually a lot of intrinsic value in here that is not bedded into the price. And that is dynamic learning. And I love it. And that's why I love doing this podcast, because we get to talk to you guys and other people get to see it wasn't like you just read a book and you went out and did it. It was messy. You had to figure it out. You had huge <laughs> hardships in the middle of it. You're moving around and you just persevered and you came through it. I just love, I love these kind of discussions. Now, let's talk where are your next steps? What are, you, what are your plans? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to get enough just to stop? Are you looking to expand out of your region? Um, what, do, what are you guys' thoughts? Well, we... Our initial goal was, and, and since we've been married, our, our goal is always to have financial freedom and to not be tied down to a nine to five and to a W-2. So uh, that was the house flipping and then it turned into storage units. And then, so now we're like, we're really close. I think we're, we're really, really close to getting to that point, but it's still taking, uh, you know, I'm still working in real estate. And so yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're just about there, but so our, and, you know, maybe we need to ask you a few questions while we've got you, but we are, are we're just about there, but we're not quite sure how to make, take that next step. We, we, our next fear, like we wrote down our fear, what's our next big fear and scaling to a point where we need employees mm-hmm. is that fear. Yeah. And we're not quite sure if we're ready for that. Um, I would like to, to go ahead and push through that and, and, and see if we can make that work. But I don't want to end up like, am I going to go from managing storage units to spending all my time managing people yeah. and and having the, the issues that go along with that? Yeah. So that's kind of our next thing. And how do we um, 
how do we figure out where to do that at? We, we are very comfortable with our area, yeah. but there's a lot of buildings going up in Kalispell is about half an hour away. And a lot of buildings are going up in that town, although we've grown by about 30,000 people over the last six to eight months. Every, everybody loves Montana now. Yeah. Um, so we're just trying to decide what to do next. Yeah. And we, we would like to build more in our area, but we're nervous about building and saturating our little market, right? Yeah. In our, yeah. so it's nice having uh, a good demand and we don't wanna mess that up by building more units right in our little radius here. Right. And so if we did um, do more, it's gonna be either buying facilities, more local facilities in the Valley, but outside of our little radius. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've started approaching Kelly's uh, got an approach. appointment on Tuesday to talk to a, yes. a, a yep. Yes. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have one and see if he's interested in selling his facility. Or, awesome. We're making inroads and, and trying that. But I guess we, we wonder, you know, is it, I've heard you talk about, uh, you know, amount of units per capita or amount of yeah. square footage per capita. Yeah. And if that's possible to figure out in a third tier market, like kind of what we're in. So, you know, I, I, it, these are just, I, I love hearing these questions. It's like, I'm just like thinking back. It's like, oh man, I've already, I've been through these questions just <laughs> endlessly. I, I, it's just, you're bringing me back. So I think there's a few approaches, right? And there's a few things, everything you're considering though is exactly right on. It's what you should be considering and your concerns are the correct concerns. So when I look at third tier markets, understanding demand is extraordinarily hard and it is risky, right? Because the precision for you to be able to calculate it, how I look at it is the amount of increase that we would input into that. So if I went into a, a, a third tier market that had 200,000 square feet on the market and I was going to build a 100,000 square foot storage facility, right? I would Anyone that tells you there's demand for that is lying. There may be. They just don't know. Because you're increasing that market by 50%. Right. So when I look at that, it's not that you shouldn't do it. And it's not that there's not demand for those people, but they need to be realistic that they don't know. Right. So I look at what is the percentage change? So when we go into markets, I'm really looking, am I going to affect this market over 15%? Why I like that number? Because if I look at the market and I say, all right, this market has basically no vacancy, right? It's got like, you're, you're like, there's three or 4% vacancy in it. Well, if I yeah. increase this market by 10%, you know, so I'm adding on 10% more units to the market, it's pretty logical that this market can absorb that. They already don't have, because when you look at it, that the vacancy of 3 to 4%, like you guys know, it's almost always concentrated in some units. So it's not straight yeah. across vacancy, right? So you may have three That's or four vacancy, but there's, there's zero vacancy in four unit sizes. So you already know there's literally endless demand for those four sizes. So I like building because I can build the suit. I can build to suit the demand, right? So it's the impact of the inventory on your market and the comfort level within a certain range on what you're putting on. 10 by 10s, 5 by 5s, drive up, you know, that climate controlled, right? Your, your market may have no climate controlled, but may have a huge demand for it. Then you're not actually competing at all, right? So now yep. you're not putting actual competing demand on the market. It's a totally separate product for a totally separate individual. So it's a brand new thing. 
and you may be able to do your own pricing structure. So we talk like understanding the effect of that that you're doing. But when I'm really concerned about that, which we have a market we're going into right now, which it was so hard for us to understand demand in this market. We're heavily buying and oh, me and Connor were we were out there and it, it just took a long time for us to wrap our heads around. The, the, the questions that you have right now, we have there, right? It never changes and it never should. So we definitely walked away feeling that we didn't have a comfortable um, level to ever build in that market. So like you were saying there, instead, we knew we could buy a facility and we could exactly understand the demand. It's already there. So in markets that I have way too much questions on if I could fill up or if that market would say, I move immediately to acquisitions. And then I'm looking at the value upside in the acquisitions. Um, now, those two things, you know, talk about whether you should build or buy in separate markets, or I go out in the core area. Like, let's say, I don't care where you are, the Midwest, the South, the North, right? You have your hub that you're starting out in. Well, you have feeder cities, right? And the economy and the culture and everything, it, it has a very large geographic area, right? So if I'm here in Boise, well, the economics of this area is very big. So that's across a long area, right? And if you're up, you know, if you're up by Kalispell and Glacier, the economics are this huge region. It's not individual. Yeah. So then I go out of my area and I say, why don't I focus on, like, think of it as a solar system. Where you're at is the sun. Let's look at all the revolving economies around this and maybe pinpoint those where there's demand. So it's like I, I baby step. Let's baby step into another market, but it's still close enough to get like a portfolio effect, right? So this market I may be concerned about building, but hey, down the road, 10 minutes, they have no units available, and there hasn't been a storage facility built in 15 years, right? But yet their population has gone up. Um, well, we should do start out and see if we can and build there. Now, management. So that's on the building side or anything like that. So, But the management side and personnel and employees. Um, if you do stick locally, how I usually view it is you have a single point of contact. So you don't have, let's say site manager, but you have what would be more classified as a regional manager. So if all your facilities were in like a three hour driving distance, the only you, you focus on managing one person and one person only, and they become the head person that runs all your facilities, right? You set them up on a bonus structure plus a salary plan, understanding that their income needs to just be directly correlated with results, right? So if our income starts to go down, so it's yours, right? It can't be, and this doesn't work, you just need to leave. So you set that all up originally and right off the bat, but you focus it on a one person for you. So it's not about managing a whole bunch of people. And then if you need to add more, few like maintenance, whatever that may be, you add them under that person. And so it goes up. So I view it with employees, what's really important is the point of contact. So like for me and my team, even though it's really big, I only have a handful of point of contacts that I work with, right? I have my executive team. Outside that, I'm really not working with anybody else. You know, we may have 40, 50 employees, but really I'm working with five. That's it. And yeah. so it, that's how I try to hedge against that and maybe some of the problems that can come. And that's easier done when they are concentrated in a single region, right? Now, offsetting too, as much as you can through technology, automation, right? That's another big thing that can help you a lot. 
um, as you want to try to grow but minimize impact on your life and problems you may have. And once again, am I dealing with tenants or employees, right? So the only yeah. reason you should go to an employee is that they're going to take hundreds of tenants that you don't know, no longer have to work with. So then you get just emails from that one person and your workload goes down. If not, obviously don't do it. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that we're actually continually working on even now oh, is, is limiting that those points of contact. And, and that's something that, um, so doing like these district manager roles and regional manager roles. And as we continue to acquire and, and build more and, and acquire more in these different regions, how we're structuring that employee and these, these not only the employees, but the, the, the processes and procedures and the SOPs and, and all of that, it's just a constant development that essentially will never go away. But, uh, ultimately, uh, just getting reducing those points of contact and making it to where you know AJ's always talking about being able to uh, work on the business and not in it. So ultimately, yeah. where you know your guys's goals are, you know, getting that freedom and that that ability to kind of get away from the day to day type stuff and and do what you want to do when you want to do it. Um, that's that's a key. Like so, perfect example. If your financial freedom number is, you're like, we need three other facilities, right? But you can't get three other facilities because you're so busy doing other things that actually yeah. you're, you're actually hurting yourself. And like, that's what happened to me. I'm like, no, we have to hire so I can get more to achieve my number because I was too busy doing things that didn't get me to my goal. And that's yeah. the big thing you, you, that I look at with people as they're growing. The growth has to be purposeful. There, there needs to be a reason for it. And then you need to figure out how to grow to achieve this. So if you have a financial freedom number, you're like, we could do two more facilities and, and get there. But if we did two more facilities and got there, I would be, it'd be a full-time job for me. So then you say, yeah. well, what if we got three facilities and used one facility to fund our employee? Now we're there and we just reduced our entire workload and they can run around and we can automate most of it, centralize the operations, and then they can manage those operations. They give you monthly reports. Maybe you have a quarterly or six month meeting. And now it's like real financial freedom, right? Now it's like we're yeah. hands off. So that's how I look at it. And that's how I would be adjusting it if I was you, um, is yeah. measuring all that. We actually just had a conversation last week about this, about he he likes to be hands-on and and you know mowing the lawn and 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 taking make sure the buildings are up to snuff and all that yeah um but i would like to pull him in just for a period of time so we can focus like every monday wednesday and friday i want to have a meeting and and see if we can't come up with a plan of attack this week you know who do we want to talk to which facilities do we want to hit up this week so that later if you want to mow the lawn, go ahead, but it's not, you know, it's not yep. necessary. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's yeah. really what you want to do. It's, financial freedom isn't about not doing anything. And I always tell you, like, that's not the goal. Yeah. It's to do what you we, want we to do. We already did that. We don't do board very yes. well. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. So for like me, I love finding deals. So I had to construct yeah. my employees and things around me so I can go out, make deals, find deals. I love meeting people, talking with people, right? I love the industry. And so when you're looking at if you're hiring or not hiring, right, it really depends on those roles in the organization, how it's going to look when it's growing. Because certain, uh, certain of those roles will start to overweight as you grow and just drown you in things you hate. 
It's just going to yeah. happen. And then you may be like, well, I didn't want to manage employees, but now I'm stuck doing all these things that I hate and it's encompassing my life. So then you get in a big position where you're like, maybe we should just sell these because yeah. you know what I mean? So it's about identifying the roles in the business, which ones you like to do, which ones you want to do and what you would have to assign out and be like, get rid of it. Cause then you don't mind managing an employee if, if you don't have to deal with it. <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I yeah. guess I've always dreamt to be assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you busy. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, I mean, like, in I see you guys and you're like, I, I may want to keep building, right? You're like, mm -hmm. I may want to build every single year some facilities or whatnot. So you want to make sure that your company's in a position to where you can identify and have the opportunity to add value in certain ways. We're going to only buy expansion things. And then once we get it, the hands-on management, right? All this may go over here. I may be building the uh, uh, building. And then you may be focusing on the real estate acquisition side. So you have these two roles and then we'll get somebody to fill it in. That allows you to grow and still love what you do. Because we nobody, we definitely don't want to build businesses and grow. And we're all we're doing is building ourselves a job that we hate, right? Yeah. That's like the worst idea ever. So, but no, right. come, if you come, got to come to Coeur d'Alene for our event, that's... You're in a few months and we'll, we yes, we're going to talk about all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. I mean, it's a short drive for you guys. So yeah, for sure. No, it's going to be amazing. So you're figuring out as you go, I, uh, I have one more question on here. Um, when we're, when you're going out, so as you're looking at growing, we talked about how you finance those others. What is your plan to finance acquisitions? Are you at a point where you're like, we're going to take on investors? Do we need other capital or are you just trying to, uh, use built in equity? Uh, so it depends on how big the next facility, next uh, phase is because our, our partner, uh, has got capital that he needs to invest. So we're still kind of structured, set up with him to a certain level um, for the next phase. And then uh, if we need to, we can restructure our existing facilities to strip a little equity there. But it just depends on how big um, we go next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. So, so you're, you're open, though, to multiple strategies and ideas. You're not saying, well, yeah. we Got it. I love that. Yeah, and reaching out to other investors as well. Yeah, we've never done that, so we we don't know. Yeah. Uh, but we'd be open to, to other strategies to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And you know the nice thing too, though, about um, investing in not major markets, things like that. You, you, you're probably right now the largest storage owner in your region, right? I'm sure in your town, definitely. You own three. Most cities in Idaho and Montana, there's very few people that own over one. Yeah, so Kalispell is a is the hub. We're we're in Big Fork, yeah. so we're the biggest in Big Fork. But, yes, exactly. Um, and, and I would so, say. In yeah. So you, so then it's you, an advantage, though. Even though it may be a small city, like I, I always look at opportunities you have like, in that city, right? If you're going to anything, talking with people, so you, you work in real estate, you see people moving in. You do what do you do? We we do storage yeah. around here. We do, oh, hey, the, I'm really interested in that. You know, I'd like to look at it. There's just so much you can pull out from being in that position in that place. It doesn't matter how small or big the pond is, right? Because it's yeah. all relative. As you grow, that gets bigger, and your access gets bigger. 
So you're right. in a really okay, good we position. own the red storage units out on 83 and they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. So now they're like, okay, yeah. you know what you're doing. I'm not worried about it. You've been in this for a long time. It's an easy conversation and you're immediately the expert in your area. Um, right. That sets you up really good for into the banks. They now have experience with you. So you're really primed for the next phase, which is really, really exciting because you already went through all of it the last 10 years, right? <laughs> Doing all yeah, of yeah. this, you earn it. And so yeah. now this next phase for you guys is really dependent on how you want to structure, how you want to build it, which is super exciting because you have a lot of opportunity. Yeah. So it's been really beneficial over the last three or four months, reading your book and also listening to a ton of podcasts, kind of coming to the realization of who we are and what we can offer and how we can move forward and understanding, uh, you know, how to, how our, the potential that we have that we didn't yes. kind of realize before. Yeah. It, you know, and it's, it's amazing that process. You're like, oh, wow, we've been doing this for a long time. We actually are pretty good at this. We actually yeah. know what And two, how you <laughs> right, set yourself yeah. apart in the market. Like you're building your own storage unit. Like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's incredible. Right? Like, and, and when you look at these gaps in the market, so whether it's, you know, me, like I, I can't do what you do. Like I literally can't do it. I'm not set up for it. I'm not a team. So anybody in those regions or those pockets, there's very few people to put capital in or to partner with in, in this space that you're in. It's, it's very limited. You're either dealing with really big boys or really small, small one-off players. No one that's expanding anything. They own their one and they're never doing anything again, right? Kind of thing. This is a, an area that I tell everybody, this is a growth area because you're not out getting $10 million deals, Right. And you're not in LA. Well, that's where all the money plays and all the big boys fight. Because when you get to a size like mine, it makes no sense. And I can't even do that anymore. Where for you guys, that just breeds opportunity. Uh, that's how we grew and how we started out. We went into places where I'm like, I'm going to go where nobody else is. And I can compete and I can be the best at what I do. And that it, it shoots on the second phase, your growth, really, really quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. Well, guys, first of all, thank you so much. I, the, your story, it just, and it's, I think it's inspiring. I love what you guys have been through. Um, and it's your hard times and your good times and where you're at now. And especially exciting for me to hear of like, I mean, I can't wait to talk to you here in three years. We'll have you back on the podcast. You'll probably be <laughs> double your size and you'll be like, oh, well, we decided to do this and this, you know, because you're, you're, you're primed for uh, this next leg, which is growth, growth, which is super exciting. So you have to come to Coeur d'Alene so we can meet and talk and, and everything else like that. We'd love to have you. And of course, all our listeners, I'm sure would love to meet you and have lots of questions. So thank you so That'd much awesome. for coming on. Thank you thank for you. having us. Yeah. And where, where can people, uh, you know, if anybody has some questions or they like to reach out or if anybody's like, Hey, I'd love to be in Montana, where, where can people find you or get a hold of you? Um, uh, let's see. Our website is uh, Montana snowbirdstorage.com. Okay. And then I'm on Facebook as uh, Kelly Reynolds. Sorry. And um, my email is uh, Kelly at mtrealestate.com. Perfect. We awesome. will put that everybody in the show notes. So it's there. And uh, thanks again, guys, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and what, you know, there's so much people can learn. So thank you. Great. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon.